Sophia Donson and I have been working together on this funded project, uh, funded by the Information Literacy Group of CILIT, the Chartered Institute of Library Information Professionals, for a few months. So I'm going to give you some context about why we're doing this, um, tell you a little bit about what we've done already, then we're going to give you, as I mentioned, uh, an activity to do, which should take up up to 10 minutes, and you'll need a pen or a pencil for that. Um, it is not an electronic version, it is completely <laughs> analogue, and it is not, we haven't digitised it yet, that's what we're going to do later. And then we'll come back together uh, and talk about what you've just been doing and, and, and explain how that fits into, into our work and, um, and go from there. Okay, so, uh, and I see we're not into, so we should be able to do that in the time. So, um, bit of context for you. So information literacy, uh, from our point of view, is a key life skill for students and graduates. Um, I'm the programme director of the MA Library and Information Studies at UCL. So I'm teaching librarians who want to go into the profession and develop themselves within the profession. They've already been working for a year as librarians, that's a condition of the course. And we think it's a very important role of the librarian to develop users' skills uh, in higher education. We know a lot about information literacy in higher education. Um, but I think that, that there's a gap that we need to explore, which is between higher education and the professional world, um, to help universities uh, on the employability agenda, which is becoming increasingly prevalent, um, to help people prepare students for the path ahead. Lots of students are not just there because they're really interested in that subject. They're interested, they're there, they're at uni because they want to get a better job. So we need to recognise that a little bit more. So the On The Move project, uh, funded by ILG, as I mentioned, is about f getting engagement between not just library people, because library people have been doing a lot of work on information literacy, but working uh, in, in this example with careers, but also with, uh, we've got uh, e-learning and librarians and students involved in this project as well, uh, at various uh, levels. And, um, and it's designed to Find, present some findings and possibly eventually a tool that will help students move into the workplace. So I'm going to talk about the project and some preliminary findings. Okay, this is not finished yet, so you're getting the early stuff that we probably will change over the next few months. So keep watch this space. Now here's a, a definition of information literacy that I'd like to just draw to your attention. It's from UNESCO 2006, and it's not about how information literacy is a good way to get yourself a good degree when you're at university. It's not just about that. It's about lifelong learning. And that lifelong learning aspect of information literacy is, which they say, at UNESCO empowers people in all walks of life to seek, evaluate, use, and create. And you find this, we've, I've looked at hundreds of definitions of information literacy over the last few years, and find, use, evaluate, find, evaluate, use, create, uh, appear in all of these definitions. So that's what really, that's at the centre of what we're doing. But it's about lifelong learning. So it's about personal, social, occupational and educational goals. People are using information literacy, not just at university, but at school, in the workplace, in community settings, in activism. It's a very important um, lifelong process. Now, thankfully, not for everybody, Moira, uh, the QAA uh, introduced uh, um, digital literacy and employability as themes for quality uh, assessment for universities a couple of years ago. Now this meant that there was tons of work for some people to do to find out what universities were doing and some people did a fantastic job, uh, I have personal experience of that job that was being done at UCL. But also the great thing about this and QAA 
using this model was that the provost suddenly heard about digital literacy and it became an agenda item at meetings. And that meant that finances were released and resources were made available for the university to develop the digital literacies and employabilities, but emphasis at UCL was on digital literacy of its students. So this type of initiative, which formalizes the, um, the adoption of digital literacy process within the institution is fantastically useful if we as advocates want to spread it further than the grassroots where it currently exists quite a lot of the time. Now at the chalk face and the workplace, we think there's a difference in language that's being used, different uh, uh, aspects of information use uh, have emphases, different practices are happening um, in universities. There's lots of solo work going on in order to develop yourself as a student. There's lots of group work happening in the, in the workplace, uh, as an example. Uh, now we know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot about how information literacy works in higher education. Here's an example of a very well used information literacy model, the Sconnell Seven Pillars of Information Literacy. And this uh, includes find, evaluate, use, create, as, as you would expect, amongst its pillars, which interestingly um, are not linked together. So you can hop from one pillar to another when you're trying to use this as a, as a model or a framework to develop. Uh, a teaching initiative, either as a librarian or uh, as a faculty member or as an e-learning developer as well. So present, gather, identify, plan, scope, evaluate, manage. These, these headings uh, are presented by Sconnell in much more detailed uh, text framework uh, to give you ideas about whether what students can understand and what they're able to do. So this is a useful tool that has been located, situated specifically in higher education since it was developed in 1999, but when it was revised, this, this, this new revised core model in 2011, it was designed to have different lenses put on it. So now there's a graduate employability lens on the seven pillars, which slightly adjusts the emphases and the content of each of these uh, guidelines that enables people to develop information literacy interventions that might be more relevant to people going into the workplace, for example. Workplace information literacy has got a research base that's been developing sort of since the, since the early 2000s, really. Uh, Australian researcher Anne-Marie Anne Lloyd has uh, done some very interesting work looking, for example, at firefighters. She's done lots of workplace information literacy and community literacies research uh, over the last uh, 10 or so years. And um, she found that, for example, with her firefighter work, that people were looking at manuals and they were getting information from text-based sources, but they're also, when you're learning how to be a firefighter, they don't give you the equipment. You can't put out a fire until you've watched a few fires happening and you've watched a few firefighters doing what firefighters do and you've watched the fires develop and learned about how these things by watching and not by reading text. So watching other people's actions and watching the actions of a fire is a very important aspect of developing um, the skills of being a firefighter. For example, we perhaps not have thought of this looking at students in higher education and it, it adds a further dimension to what information literacy might be. How do we understand by watching people what it is we need to do, for example. O'Farrell was looking at 24-hour uh, call centres in the NHS and found that um, 
that people were sharing information a lot. They were asking the person next to them. There was often an expert in the room that they would consult when they wanted to know more about this. <coughs> but information literacy in the workplace is not about learning, primarily, because workplaces are more about profit or meeting strategic aims and strategic goals. And productivity, quality measurements, expertise. And, and there is definitely a gap between higher education and the workplace that's supported by this. There's been some work looking at business accounting and finance um, as well as, as firefighters and, and nursing. Um, and graduate employees uh, often find it difficult to transition into the workplace because the information practices and information conceptions that they have developed quite well at university don't always directly apply within the workplace. Um, so, so it is quite important we feel that people start looking more closely and continue to look at workplace information research. I started this off uh, a couple of years ago and I, I data mined um, some uh, job descriptions um, from the National Careers Service website and Prospects, which is a graduate careers um, advisory uh, resource. And I, I threw all of the, these job descriptions, about 800 of them, uh, into NVivo, and I did some text ranking, uh, text frequency ranking uh, on, on those. And I found that, that people are using different words. The red circle is the higher education language, and the black circle is the workplace language. So in higher education, these are the kind of words that people are using when they're talking about information literacy. And in and this is words that everybody is using, higher education and workplace. And as we get further to the right, these words are used just in the workplace. They're not used in higher education texts when people are talking about using information effectively. So there does seem to be a, an interesting difference in discourse between these two practice, these two communities of practices of higher education and workplace. Of course, these texts came from career services. They didn't come from employers directly or from employees directly. So this is one way of looking at the world, which is attempting, uh, from the career service point of view, to bridge the gap into, um, into employment. So that led me to think that on the move, well, this is the name of our project, uh, could be an interesting approach to build on, on what I thought was a disconnect between the language use in higher education and the workplace. So, <coughs> Sophia and I uh, uh, went to the um, information literacy group and, and we were very uh, lucky to be given a, a grant to be able to, to work on this. And we're not getting any money at all. It's all going on the resources we need for the, for the project. And what we've done, we've interviewed uh, um, lots of people in a city workplace and the city insurance firm. We can't tell you who they are, but we got access to this, this big firm and we were speaking to new members of staff and directors of the board and doing quite long interviews with a number of them up to about uh, 18 45-minute interviews, two 60-minute focus groups, and then we spoke to some students as well. We did some interviews with them also and, uh, and a focus group. And these uh, interviews and focus groups were all transcribed in full and... Then we checked them for typos because we were interested in the words and we didn't want the typos to get in the way. Uh, imported them into NVivo, which is a great piece of software for this type of research. And then we started coding uh, the themes that were coming out of, of the using the questions initially. And then we, sort, we thought we'd, we'd, we'd 
we do this a little bit slightly differently from how we started off. And we, we started looking at Mark Foster's um, work on nursing, uh, and he used phenomenography to explore uh, nurses and their conceptions of information literacy. So we started um, looking at his themes of expanding awareness, which I'll tell you about in a minute, and using those as codes for our texts. So we took his codes and his, well, his framework, really, and we started to see if it would apply to our very different group of people, nurses and insurance workers. Okay, so we, we're seeing if there's some, there's some connections there. So um, themes of expanding awareness, huh? So some of you probably know about this. So phenomenography is, is quite a well-used research approach in higher education, uh, like developed by Ferenc Martin a number of years ago. Has anyone used phenomenography here? Yeah. I know you have. Emma can ask me the difficult questions. <laughs> it's about exploring different conceptions within a community of interest uh, or experiences or perceptions of uh, a, a part of knowledge. And Martin was looking at this in terms of how learning works. And his idea was that uh, in, in learning there is a variation. Once you've found out what the variation is, that means that some learning has taken place. So what we were looking at was what, what are the variations in people's conceptions of information literacy in these texts that we were examining. And we were seeing whether the um, pre-existing framework that had been developed by a UK PhD researcher last year uh, in the University of West England, uh, Foster, um, applied to our texts. And phenomenography has been used quite widely within the people looking at workplace information literacy. Christine Bruce in Australia, um, Anne-Marie Lloyd, um, and quite a number of those people who are, who are very interested in, in the more critical approach to what information literacy is actually about have been adopting phenomenography. And if you're interested in that, then there are some, there are some links for you to explore here. So what we mean by this, when we're, doing, when we're looking at our text, we're looking at different ways of thinking about information or effective information use. We didn't call it information literacy. No one in this insurance company knew what information literacy was. We called it effective information use. So we asked them about inf effective information use and they told some stories and we asked them a few probing questions and they told us some more stories and then we looked at that and we found that people were using something, they had a similar idea about information literacy to the nurses even though they were in a very different context and they were doing different practices. So we put these um, codes uh, onto the text and we started to apply them and we found that there were, there were seven um, categories of description that we could use that sort of mapped to the, to the foster categories of description. And we, they could sit within um, an outcome space, which is how you organise categories of description once, they've been, um, once, once you've identified separate ways of thinking about the same kind of thing. It'll all come to <coughs> um, and and we did then we did a, a term frequency analysis uh, by looking at the ranking of the terms. And we found the words that were used most frequently in each of our codes that were not used in each of the other codes. So we found words that we used that were only specific to each code, and we used those words to help us um, phrase uh, uh, the um, what we're calling a personality test at the moment, which is the personae 
that come from the categories of description. So we're actually our output of this research uses the words that is used that are used by the participants <coughs> in the research, and that is very important to us that we're using their terminology here rather than imposing terminology on them. So these are the themes of expanding awareness that Foster found. There's seven of them. So people were thinking of the nurses. Information literacy is experienced in processes of professional self-development. So they're thinking about CPD and how information literacy relates to that. They're thinking about best practice and how information relates to their achieving best practice. They're thinking about evidence-based practice. Slightly different thing, very important in health. EBP informs just about everything that happens there. So it has to have a separate category. Um, they're thinking about how to do information gathering. And they're thinking about the principles behind information gathering. Knowing how databases work means that you can gather information more effectively. And they're thinking about information as a broader uh, concept. So these seven themes we already knew about from Foster's work. And we brought them in to code our work to see if we could find <coughs> matching um, text. So now what we're going to do is we're going to hand out uh, a questionnaire, which is in draft form. And we're building on this because we want to make this a questionnaire that we can use in the workplace later on at the end of the project. And we'd like you to have a look at the, um, the instructions. So I'm not going to tell you what to do because we want to test the instructions to see if they work. And I'd like you to fill it in. And it should take about seven minutes, okay? Seven minutes for you to be able to complete this. And then uh, you'll see that on the handout that you're getting, there is a, a consent form because we'd like you to write some feedback on the back page and return that to us. You can keep the Q&A if you want to but we'd like you to give back the back page. If you sign it, then we might use what you say in presentations. If you don't sign it, we still read what you say, but we won't use what you said in presentations. Okay, so I'm gonna stop talking now and let you have a go with this, and then we can get some feedback from you. Okay, in the interest of time, you're welcome to finish this at a later stage, but, but thank you very much for taking part in it. Has anyone got any immediate comments? Leslie. Uh, sorry. Made, I just needed to read them once and I understood them, and then sort of, yeah, I did it second. So that was, okay. Uh, so and the, and the, the six is, I, I wanted to sort of read them carefully because they're a little bit more detailed. And yeah. And normally we'd expect people to spend a bit more time. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to give you an idea of what, what the words were that you use. So the term, the words involved, the ones that came out of the interviews, and the words that only applied in these texts. The italic words came from the Mark Foster's. Yeah. and the uh, non-metallicised words the ones that, that we put in there. So uh, uh, our, our findings from this previous, when we tried it out with some librarians at the Riot Conference a couple of weeks ago, was information literacy. So people, you know, they're really used to the information literacy, librarians, they found it difficult to imagine yeah. themselves to be this person. That's just mm -hmm. a, an artefact, really, of the research uh, instrument, I think. 
but they also said that the, some of the terminology was a little bit too complex, the sentences were too long. Um, they chose the ones that were, that were higher up because they wanted to present themselves as being more yeah. sophisticated. So we're taking ideas from that, those sort of comments and we're going to jiggle the order around and change it to mainly A's rather than having to add up numbers. So just like in a, in a magazine where you choose, oh, you're mainly A's, you must be this yeah. kind of person. Because the class you're writing that is higher the school you put them done there because you're kind of a leader. I think that led me to think, oh, better tip more things. Yeah. Get a good score. Exactly. Subconscious over the years. So, yes. I'm wondering if I've done this completely wrongly or if I must be a really annoying graduate because my score's <laughs> 108. Fantastic. And you can look up to 22. Okay. <laughs> you just awesome. So, in each box, you <laughs> choose the one number, you choose the one that's highest, you don't add up all of the numbers if you circle them in each box. And you choose one, the one which is the highest. Okay, so we'll make it clearer. Good, good. Okay, thank you very much. It's really helpful. So we are probably going to make this into an online questionnaire. But oh, we're going to try out the paper version at events like this, but just for the time being. Now, I've just got to finish that up. So, so here, here is here are the here's a word cloud. Uh, uh, you're familiar with these uh, of the words that people are using in question one. So now we've got me in front of you, make it easier for you to to refer to. And this is about the words they're using in in CPD and becoming an effect. How do you become an effective information user in insurance? They seek out knowledge, they become a knowledgeable insurance worker, they achieve and show competence, they achieve confidence, autonomy, and they become strategically and philosophically and, um, innovative, innovative. And these are the terms that we put into the questionnaire that apply to, to each of these cases. So we think that there's something going on here, that there are increasing levels of complexity within Number one, theme of expanding awareness, be becoming, how do we become an, uh, an effective insurance information user? The second one is about the links between people and insurance information. So that's using others as a source of information, interacting actively, developing relationships, developing trust. These are really important in this workplace scenario where people are sharing information between one another. These are less important. They came up a lot in Foster's work, but they didn't come up so much in our work. So people don't see themselves as teachers, even though they are supporting one another, and there's a very important peer review process happening in this insurance firm where people are checking one another's work. You put a zero in the wrong place. That's a big mistake there. Uh, but this is, is more when they're talking about the CEO and they start talking about him as a sort of great god of information who's able to synthesize everything and make the company uh, become what it is. So, so these do start to appear, but it's very different ways from in the in the nursing text, which is why we've just left in what Foster said here, because we haven't quite found a way of, of communicating that effectively through this through this data. Best practice um, comes up a lot because people are talking about risk and governance and accountability and the regulators are very, very important in the world of insurance. Um, as I mentioned earlier, making mistake, accuracy, vital, everybody's work is peer reviewed and checked by, by others. 
Um, so this this is is quite prevalent um, discourse and accuracy, minimising risk, high quality information, and people are very and very interested in this. They're actually, not talking about data more than information, but I think that's interesting. They're using numbers a lot and analysing numbers because that's what they do there. But they're talking about those numbers as if other people would be talking about texts. So they're talking about what perhaps we might call data, but to them, that data is actually information. They don't talk so much about evidence-based practice. Not much of a surprise, they're not working in the health service. But they do talk about it a little bit. Um, and they're talking about using evidence internally, specifically, to improve the functioning of the organisation. We're talking to people who are doing internal audits, for example. It's very important to them. Uh, they're looking at, when we're talking about gathering, can they use the technology, pivot tables, most important thing. And Excel is their real most important approach to looking at data and information in this particular scenario. In fact, we, uh, we're inspired by this and we use Excel spreadsheets to rank and separate and slice and dice our text frequencies that we exported from Envivo. So we're using countive statements and, and quite complicated um, Excel uh, algorithms to help us identify the data. So we're inspired by, by the, this context that we've been exploring and that was an interesting uh, methodological finding. And knowing about how to find how to find data better by knowing what goes on behind the data, knowing about research, about the structure of databases, how to use queries that are <coughs> SQL queries rather than um, Boolean queries. But they're talking about the same kind of thing there. Um, and they're also finally different levels of information, how basic facts, data, guidelines. Uh, and how to use information for strategic purposes and business advantage. So you notice that if you added up your numbers, then you'd find a, a persona. And these personae take, um, take the lowest level of each of those themes of expanded awareness and put them all into one persona. So if you ticked all ones, then you would be a passive minimalist, according to Foster. And we're going to rework these. Uh, we haven't quite got to them yet. But we think a an enemy is a sort of passive minimalist that grabs information as it goes past. Um, very, you know, very beautiful, very important part of the ecosystem. But passive information absorption occurs as frequently as information gathering. And if you were all twos or bees, then you might be a knowledgeable goal achiever. Um, and and you're, you're focusing specific goals and you're seeking things out and um, skills and relationships with goals in mind. And you might be uh, an evolving professional if you were all threes uh, and you're um, in processes of professional effectiveness and achieving functionality. And get the theme here. So uh, if you're all fours, you might, this is the only fish that changes colour like a chameleon. Okay, That's why this is here. Octopuses change colour. Uh, justifiable change. Okay, so uh, uh, and, and so if we're thinking about justifiable change, we might be uh, a, a, a colour-changing octopus, uh, but we might be a teacher and promoter of evidence-based culture. I wanted to be the octopus. Uh, do you, well, you might. You have to unlearn something. Then. 
You have to step back over those thresholds and backwards. We had to have the octopus because they're the only ones that change colour. And there had to be a sea one and we couldn't have chameleons. So um, uh, anyone who's seen Finding Nemo will appreciate the, the, the relevance of this image here. Uh, uh, and of course, um, this is the governing body of all of the seas and all of the tides. So the, the moon is the leader, philosopher and strategist. So this is who's in charge of everything that is under the sea. Uh, and the most sophisticated level of experience of information literacy and employer's leader. So that's where we're heading towards. Uh, we like the pictures, and we might like them too. And, and in phenomenography, you have to have an outcome space. So this outcome space demonstrates that, that each of these sea creatures, we start off with the anemone, and we end up with the moon. And there are some steps that we can take, because I think it's very important if we're going to develop this tool to become something that can be used by graduates going into the workplace, um, which is what its purpose is, to show them what the language is being used so they can put that into their CVs and into their job applications and we can build a digital tool that enables them to, to do that and this is a pilot so then we can start exploring other professions and see what words they're using and build a, a big data bank. Um, then this, how do we get from one to the other? Because you might end up with a pa as being a passive minimalist an enemy down here and you think, oh, how do I get to the next steps? So careers advisors very strongly recommended that we think about how do we get to the next steps because that's what's going to motivate our participants, how are we going to get up here. Uh, so we're going to think about, um, now we've seen that these seems, seem to build from one to the other, so we're going to provide some recommendations at the end of the work that, that help people to uh, climb the step ladder to the moon. And because there's some sort of hierarchy that suggests uh, Fewer competencies as opposed to more. Are you? Are there any plans to use this as a recruitment tool? Uh, well, we could. You, we're going to workshop it in the firm where we did all the interviews, uh, and see if they're interested in, in taking that further as well. We segue into questions. Yeah. We're about to do that. So the next <laughs> steps I've just told you about. So digitising, workshopping further, redeveloping, and looking more closely at that questionnaire, and and showing how to move from one to the other. Yeah. And incorporating the student views, which we haven't finished analysing yet, the <coughs> interviews that we did with the students and seeing how their discourses differ from those within the work. Thank you. Thank you.